0: a Bible this morning, invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, that's going to be on page 835. Last year, there was a survey that was released on the state of theology, the state of beliefs about God in the Bible in the United States. The survey found that 66%, that's 66% of the people surveyed, agreed with the following statement. Biblical accounts of the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus are completely accurate. This event actually occurred. 66%. 11% were unsure and 23% disagreed. But 66% is, is nearly two-thirds of the people surveyed. That is, that's great. That's actually a really good number. Uh, we would love that for that to be higher, but that, that, that's a good number. So the issue might not necessarily always be, as we think about Easter, some people not believing that the resurrection happened, but rather, why does the resurrection matter? Maybe you are here this morning and you might be willing to admit that maybe it happened or, or it did happen, or you believe that the Bible is true about what it says about Jesus, but why does that matter? Or how does that truth relate to me? How does that affect me? Does it affect me? Does it matter? Does it matter if I believe it or not? Maybe that's you this morning. Well, in Matthew chapter 28, we read an account of the resurrection morning. and In verses 1 through 10, the writer, Matthew, focuses on the experience of two women. Their name? One is named Mary Magdalene, and the other is called The Other Mary, <laughs> um, you know. Uh, so her, her, she is the mother of James, we, we learn elsewhere, and Joseph, in Mark chapter 15. Uh, these two women, we learn from the biblical text, that they were followers of Jesus. Uh, we learn that they were there at his crucifixion, as well as at his burial. So they, 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 they've been with Jesus. They, they've heard Jesus. And now here, as Sunday morning dawns, we find that they are coming to the tomb. They are coming to the tomb, and we will learn that they are among the first to encounter the risen Christ. And in this passage, we can see the emotions of these women, and we can note the change that occurs by their encounter with Christ. So look at it with me in chapter 28, verse 1. Again, page 835, if you're using a pew Bible. Now, after the Sabbath, so now this is Sunday, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, this account begins by simply telling us that the women... We're traveling to the tomb. Doesn't seem that shocking of a statement. But in Mark's gospel, we learned that as they were going, they, they would have had to leave early to, to get there, first off. So they would have been traveling in the dark. That's something. They were bringing something with them. In Mark chapter, five, six, chapter 16, verse 1, we find out they were bringing spices in order to anoint the body. We also learned in Mark 16 that they were concerned about how they would actually anoint the body because... There's a large stone rolled across the tomb. How are they going to even get to the body? Now those are pretty obvious things and we might just note them as, as, uh, as notes about what they, what they were doing. But, but all of this indicates something about the Marys, something about them, that they came certainly with compassion uh, and care for Jesus. That's all certainly true. But they also came with a belief that the body would still be there. They came believing that they were going to anoint a dead body. So what does that mean? That means that they were doubting the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection that that he told them would happen. He, He literally said in Matthew chapter 20, he says this, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and will be condemned and will condemn him to death. And then verse 19 says this, And deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. This was not a secret. This was not a secret. Jesus talked often, several times throughout his life with his disciples of his death burial, and resurrection. And literally here in verse 19, he says, on the third day. It's not a mystery when when his resurrection was going to happen. It wasn't a secret. They knew about it. And yet they doubted that it would be true, clearly, because they came to anoint his body. And yet as they arrived, they found that the stone that they were concerned about had been rolled away, and there was an angel sitting on the stone, Look at verse two. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now, one thing we want to note about the stone is that the stone was not rolled away in order for Jesus to get out. It was rolled away in order for people to get in. The difference Jesus didn't need any help getting the stone moved. He didn't need to even have the stone moved. Jesus could have gotten out any way he so chose. God raised him from the dead. Nevertheless, the stone is removed. And before anyone could come in, we find that there is fear that is taking hold of the situation, right? The guards are trembling and they became like dead men. They became unconscious they were paralyzed with fear and they were unconscious now before we're too hard on the guards here just imagine yourself going to a graveyard early in the morning expecting everyone to be dead in the in the in the cemetery right and not only not only do, do you see the stone rolled away which would be alarming but now you see an angel and, we ought to note, a great earthquake. You probably would be a little, a little afraid as well, wouldn't you? Right? So let's not be too hard on these, uh, these guards. What we understand about fear is that, that we fear what we don't know. Right? We fear what we don't understand. Fear and unbelief go together. Right? When we don't understand something, it's easy for us to be afraid about that. We understand that, that, the, that faith in God is the antidote to fear. That's what Psalm chapter 56, verse 3 tells us. When i am afraid, what do I do? I trust in the Lord. Like that is the answer. But the guards weren't alone in their fear either, were they? Look at verse 5. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. So fear comes for all of us, doesn't it? It doesn't just come for the unbeliever. It doesn't just come for the enemy. It comes for his followers too. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. So clearly the the women are afraid as well. And the angel then addresses their fear. The angel helps deal with their fear by giving them hope. What is the hope? What is the hopeful announcement? That the crucified Christ is now the risen Christ. Risen as the angel says, as he said. This is what he said he was going to do. And guess what? He did it. Shocker. Jesus kept his word. Jesus actually does what he says he's going to do. Jesus is alive. The message is clear. There is no need to be afraid for these women. Why? Because their worst fear, that Jesus would be, that Jesus is dead, he is now alive. The resurrection makes that kind of difference. The resurrection matters. The resurrection makes a difference because it confirms the realities, the reality of, of Jesus being who he said he was, the Son of God. It means that what Jesus said is true. It means that death has been defeated. It means that believers will one day rise. It means that our future inheritance as Christians, heaven, is sure because of what Jesus has done. The good news of the resurrection changes everything. Do not be afraid. Why? Because Jesus is alive. So we, we need to hear that this morning as well. And then the angel gives a, a, two, uh, a two-part command. It's a, a two, two-fold command, we could say, in verses six, the end of verse six, and verse seven. The first command, the twofold, come at the end of verse 6. It says, come see the place where he lay. And then verse 7 says, then go quickly and tell his disciples. Come see, go tell. These instructions here are not only for the women. They're for you and me too. The invitation is for us to come and see and then to go and tell. Well, first, come and see. The angel invited the women into the tomb, into the empty tomb, to come in and to see, to come in and see that the body had been, the body's no longer there. The body is gone. In John chapter 20, we find that the grave clothes are still right where Jesus would have been laying. And the cloth over his face was folded sitting there. Come see, come see the reality that Jesus is no longer in the grave. The old Baptist preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, once preached on this passage and suggested five things that we need to see. <clears throat> he says that the, by the angel's invitation to come and see, we come and see the humanity of Jesus. There's a tomb, Jesus really died, he had a real body and he died. He was in a tomb, so we come to the tomb where his dead body once laid. He was the God man. Jesus was 100 percent God and 100 percent man. but in his humanity he did die. Secondly, we see the horrors of sin. Sin brings death. Sin brings death. That is why there is death, is because of sin. In fact, Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, "Death is the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death, and Jesus died for that sin. Thirdly, as we come and see, we learn that we too will die. Jesus isn't the only one who died. You and I are going to die too. It's a reality as we look at the empty tomb. One pastor once said, humans have the capacity to think they're going to live forever. You ain't living forever forever. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgments. The empty tomb tells us that we will die. But it also tells us, fourthly, that Jesus is alive. Coming to see the empty tomb means that Jesus isn't there. He's not in the grave. He is risen. And the great question for us today is, have we come to see the reality of that? Do we know that Jesus is alive? Now, some of you might be saying, well, you keep saying that, but what evidence is there for his resurrection? I'm so glad you asked that question this morning. Thank you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul gives to us several of the reasons for, or several of the evidences of the resurrection. He speaks namely of the eyewitness accounts. He speaks about those who literally saw him. He speaks about the apostles who saw him. He speaks about a group of 500 people who saw him at one time after his resurrection. And then he speaks about himself. He speaks about his own experience. That on the road to Damascus, he saw Jesus. In a vision, he saw Jesus. The risen Christ. You might remember that story that his name was then Saul. Then it was Changed to Paul. But as Saul, he was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians. He was working against Jesus. He didn't believe in Jesus. And yet he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and a bright light blinded his physical sight to give him spiritual sight in order that he might see, in order that he might be opened to the reality of the risen Christ. And he was. And it changed his life. And the rest of the New Testament tells of the, the, the ministry in the mission of the Apostle Paul. We also understand that Christianity has to be explained somehow. Christianity it was an overnight religion, in a sense, meaning after the resurrection, we see Christianity take hold. What else would be the explanation? What else would be the explanation for the apostles willing to be martyred? What else would be the explanation for, for the church that exists even today, yet for, or but for, the resurrection of Jesus. And then we can look at our own life, can't we? We can look at those around us and we can see the evidence of the resurrection today. The changed life. Why are you the way you are? What, what has God done in your life and how has he done it? It is all because of the resurrection. And finally. C.H. Spurgeon says that as we come and see this tomb, we recognize that we too will rise. The empty tomb of Jesus tells us that death is not the end. It's not the end. That's really, really good news. Death is terrible. Death is terrible. We can all agree with that this morning. It's not a controversial statement, is it? Death is terrible. But here's the good news. It's not the end. Christian, it's not the end. The resurrection of Jesus means that we too will rise. The resurrection of Jesus proves that we will rise because he is the first fruit. He's the the one who went before us that we will one day be raised. Well, the second set of commands comes in verse seven. Look at it there. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. We find these commands repeated in verse 10. And then in verses 19 and 20, Jesus says something similar. Go and tell. Having seen the empty tomb, having heard the announcement from the angel, the women then did what? Joyfully obeyed the angel's command. Look at verse eight. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. See the change that's happening here? The reality of the resurrection moved the women from doubt and fear to joy and obedience. From doubt and fear to joy and obedience. As they went, they then experienced an even greater encounter. Look at it in verse nine. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings, And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. You think it's crazy to have an earthquake, the stone rolled away, and an angel? Now you've got the risen Christ. What a morning. What a morning for these women. And what does Jesus say? Greetings. That's like a normal hello, right? Like, hey there, howdy, good morning, how's it going? Right, that's what he says to them. And then what do they do? What did they do? And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. No words. You see that? No words are recorded right there. Worship. That's the response. That's the only reasonable response to the risen Christ is worship. That's the only reasonable response when we see who Jesus is. Clearly, this was not a vision, it was not a hallucination. Jesus was really there. He was really in a body. He was really standing before them. And they grab hold of his feet. They kneel down before him and they worship. To worship means to ascribe worth to someone or to something. It means to bow down as an act of allegiance and reverence. It means to give honor and glory and praise. And the scriptures are quite clear. There's only one who deserves our worship. And that is God and God alone. We know that Jesus is the Son of God, and so we worship him. We are to worship him, John 4 tells us, in spirit and in truth. We have emotions. Our our spirit should be involved in our worship. But not just emotional worship, truth. The truth about who God is, about who Jesus is, and about what he has done the women here give us a simple but beautiful picture of what it looks like when we encounter the risen Christ. It's worship. It's worship. Some of us say we believe something, and yet how do we live that out? Where's the joyful obedience? Where's the the worship of Christ as king? These women were not guilted into worship. They're not performing in order to look spiritual. They're not checking off a box. They're doing the only right thing to do, the only reasonable thing to do. The first response any follower of Jesus should have is worship. Well, then Jesus reiterated the the angel's commands in verse 10. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. This time that the command comes right from Jesus. Not from the angel, it comes from Jesus, the risen Christ, the risen king. And what does he say? Do not be afraid. We find that all throughout the scriptures, right? That's a good reminder for all of us. Go and tell. Go and tell who? Here Jesus says, go and tell my brothers. Earlier in verse seven, he says, my disciples. It's the same thing. Who are the brothers but the disciples? That's who they were supposed to go tell. Go tell that he is alive. Go tell that he is risen from the dead. What you have seen, go and tell share it. Listen, what they have been given, these women, what they were given was not for just for them to keep. It wasn't just for them to know. It wasn't just for them to to feel great assurance and confidence and joy. It was actually news. It was actually a message to be shared with other people that they would come to know who this Jesus is. They would come to have the joy of knowing him as well and his resurrection. You may have heard the slogan, if you see something, say something. Well, here we want to say, if you've seen the risen Christ, say something about the risen Christ. Tell someone. Go and tell. Once we have come to see the reality of the resurrection, we are to go and tell. Well, just a few verses later, Jesus has some words for his disciples. Look at it in verse 18. And Jesus came to them. So he he had told the women, go to Galilee, tell them I'm coming. Verse 18, Jesus is there. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is King Jesus speaking. This isn't just just a prophet. This isn't just a a teacher. This isn't just a good guy. All authority means king. Power, authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so now I'm going to command something. This isn't isn't an option. This isn't a good idea. This isn't, maybe you should try this. This is a command from the king of kings. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is commanding his disciples to go into the world, to go and tell to go make disciples. And how do we make disciples? By telling something. Telling what? Telling the gospel. Telling the good news. And what is that gospel? What is that good news? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us this very uh, concise explanation of the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he says this. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel... I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you have been saved, if you hold fast to the word preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And this is the gospel. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I received. Here it is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and then he was raised on the third day according with the scriptures. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what we are to go and to tell. And the question for us this morning is, who needs to hear the good news? Who do you need to tell? Who needs to encounter the risen Christ today? Maybe you're with us this morning, and this is the first time you've heard about Jesus. Maybe you need to hear. Maybe you've come here today not knowing that you are going to hear the good news. Well, good news you have heard. You are invited to come and see the empty tomb. Come and see the risen Christ. Come to the king of kings. Hear his call. In Mark chapter one, verse 15, as Jesus was beginning his public ministry, he said this, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the good news about me. Repent and believe me. In Matthew chapter 11, we read the invitation to come, all who are weary and are heavy laden. Come to Jesus and find rest. Now, some of us are tired this morning. We'd like to have a nap, and some of you probably will have a nap this afternoon. You'll get rest. That's not the rest he's talking about. Later in that same passage, he says, rest for your souls. He's talking about soul rest. He's talking about knowing that your eternity is sure. Come to Jesus and find rest for your soul, that you can know one day that you will rest in peace. Only those who know Christ, only those who have come and have seen and have believed. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says this, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. In the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Listen, if you're here today and you've yet to come to Christ, you've yet to come and see, the invitation is open to you to come to him, to find in him the peace that you long for, to find in him the hope in this life, and in the next. The forgiveness of your sins, the hope of heaven, the sureness of salvation. Come, come and see the risen Christ, and then go, go and tell. Some of you need to come see and believe this morning, and some of you need to go and tell this morning. What is it for you? May God help us. Lord, we praise you this morning for what Christ has done. As we have briefly observed this morning, the account of the resurrection of Jesus, as we have taken a moment to see what you have done through your Son, I pray that you would help us to believe. For some, it's they've never come to that point in their life. And God, I pray this morning that they would trust you as their Savior. They would see the beauty of the risen Christ who died for their sins in order that they might have life, rose again to conquer death so that death would no longer destroy. For those who do know you, God, I pray that you would help us today to go and tell. There are people who yet to believe. There are people who do not know. Help us to be the people to go and to tell. For the praise and glory of the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.